The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Welcome to the We Are LCC podcast. I'm Christine Jones, your host, alum, parent, and the school's alumni officer. Today, we have Jeff Molson from the class of 87, pre-university class of 88. He's the president and CEO of Groupe CH, which owns the Montreal Canadiens, Avenco, Equipe Spectra, Just for Laughs, and the Bell Centre. We're privileged to have him join us for a conversation about the business of sport and the realities of owning a franchise. Welcome, Jeff, to the podcast. Thank you very much for agreeing to be on the We Are LCC podcast. We're very happy to have with us today Jeff Molson from the class of 1987. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Glad to be here. So why don't we just start by you telling us a bit about your path after graduating from LCC, what you did, where you went, and how you got to where you are now. I am officially from the class of uh, 87, but I did grade 12 at LCC as well. So in 1988, I graduated from grade 12 at LCC, and I went to St. Lawrence University. At St. Lawrence University, I got a degree in economics. After that, from an educational perspective, I went to Babson College, uh, which is in Boston, and I got an MBA. So that, that was my education uh, post-LCC. And then in terms of experience, uh, I was lucky to get a lot of experiences over the years after getting my degrees. Um, so I worked in several different cities. Uh, I worked in Atlanta for uh, Coca-Cola. Uh, I worked in Boston and New York for a management consulting firm. I worked in Denver for Molson, the beer company. I worked in Toronto for Molson, the beer company. And I worked in London for Marks & Spencer, which is a, uh, a retailer in England. So I I did get a lot of experiences, um, and then I came back to Montreal, obviously, and worked for Molson as the vice president of marketing. So a lot of experiences accumulated and got me to the point where in 2009, I had the opportunity to buy the Montreal Canadiens, and the rest uh, is uh, is history for me. And uh, I've been uh, the president and CEO of Montreal Canadiens since then, and the company that I bought, the team that I bought is actually a sports and entertainment company. And some of the LCC boys and girls probably are familiar with Ashiaga and uh, and Lasso and uh, all the concerts at the Bell Center and in other venues across the province. That's Eventco. And uh, we manage that uh, business as well. Okay, great. And so if we want to sort of focus the conversation on the business of sport and realities of franchise ownership, can you sort of talk to us a bit about how the landscape of uh, sports business has evolved over the years and, and what trends you might see shaping its future? The sports business in general has been pretty successful overall from a business perspective. The reason I say that is because nowadays we all have streaming and Netflix and Apple TV and um, we don't actually have to watch commercials when we watch uh, a Netflix show, or we can fast forward through commercials if we want to, if they're on. In hockey and sports in general, it's live. And so live sports is exciting for people. They don't know what's going to happen next. They can't fast forward. You have a captive audience and it's a very passionate thing. So 
in the era of Netflix and streaming and, and downloading, it has given sports an extra boost of attraction. And then other things are happening in sports that make it an attractive sport. I, I think that at least in, in hockey, we're finding that the play is faster, uh, it's exciting, and uh, the, the quality of the play on the ice is, is great and different. Um, so it's fun for fans to watch. And then also in hockey, we have what's called a salary cap. Um, and so no team can spend above a certain level of money. What that does is it gives everyone a chance to win uh, because they're all given the same amount of money to spend or they have the same amount of money to spend. So you can't, you can't buy your way to a Stanley Cup. Uh, you have to build your way to a Stanley Cup. And so that makes it exciting for fans because uh, you never know who's going to win and you never know um, which team is going to be going to be good from one year to the next. It's such a good point about the Netflix and the streaming. I was trying to think, are there other, is there anything else that we watch that's actually live? Like if you get up to like go get a snack, you're going to miss something. You know what I mean? And I don't actually think there is unless you're like on TV, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that, is, that has increased the business and the value of it. Right. Like people aren't watching a replay. I mean, obviously they're watching highlights and parts of it maybe the next day, but you're not rewatching an entire game. You already know the outcome. That's right. That's right. And, you know, people watch on their phones. My kids watch a lot of games on their phones, and they just hold the phone up uh, in front of their face. So that's uh, that's unique. And, and going to the Bell Center, obviously, is a form of entertainment. Uh, it's like going to a concert or it's like going out for dinner. And so the Montreal Canadiens compete for what we call uh, entertainment dollars. And entertainment can be anything from a vacation in Mexico to a dinner in downtown Montreal and a hockey game or a concert. So that's uh, that's something that we work hard on trying to make sure that when you do come to the Bell Centre, you have a great experience, regardless of whether we win or, or lose. And obviously, a team like the Montreal Canadiens is rooted in tradition. It's obviously one of the longest franchises, or I, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it is one of the longest standing franchises in the league. So how do you let's say, marry the traditions of the Montreal Canadiens, but also sort of have progressive forward thinking. So I'm sure at some point in the business, you want to institute change, whether it's your marketing or your player development or building the franchise, but you still have to keep some of the traditions from the past. Yeah. So to answer your question, uh, the Montreal Canadiens are the oldest uh, hockey team in, uh, in the world. It's probably something I should have known prior. <laughs> <laughs> Founded in uh, 1909 and proud uh, winner of 24 Stanley Cups, which is also the, the most of any other team. Actually, almost the most of any other team in all of sports. There's one team that's won more than us, and it's the New York Yankees. But uh, apart from that, the Montreal Canadiens have been a very successful uh, franchise. So all that tradition and that history is important, but we have 18 to 35-year-old players, and we have young fans that love those players. And so it is a fine balance. Uh, you want to honor your your history and be modern at the same time. So you intertwine the great history of this franchise with the captain, for example, or with Cole Caulfield. I mean, we had other goal scorers, scorers in our history as well. You need to focus on moving forward in the future and the team now, but always remind people that the reason we're all here today is because of the great heritage of the Montreal Canadiens. And are there plans to market yourselves in Europe? Have any games across overseas? 
The last time we did it was probably when I was at LCC. So it's been a very long time. Uh, the Canadians played in London and maybe in, when I was at St. Lawrence. But uh, so it's been a very, very long time. And it's something that we would like to do. We have some uh, international players on our team, obviously. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of markets that are attractive for us to look at. Even a market like Paris uh, would be interesting purely because there's a French connection with Montreal, with Quebec. But yes, it's on our list of things that we want to accomplish. And the league manages international games. And so we're working with the league to try and make that happen. Okay. And what about any other interest for Group CH in other professional sports teams, whether it's or leagues like NBA, MLB, now the PWHL, lacrosse, anything on the horizon there? Yeah. So we're always looking to do more whether it's on the event side or on the uh, sports side. And so we could do anything from a one-off, uh, like we brought baseball back to the Big O for some preseason games uh, over the years. Uh, we bring an NBA game almost every year to the Bell Center. And now we're just sort of dabbling into other sports as well. We would like to bring more basketball, uh, either to Laval or to Montreal, because we think Montreal is a great basketball market. Ultimately, if we ever got a chance to have an NBA team, we would definitely look at that. But in the meantime, there's college basketball, and then there's this league called the G League, which is like a farm system for the NBA. So those things we'll start to see come to uh, to Montreal and Laval. And then as far as indoor lacrosse goes, uh, we're going to have a game actually this year, indoor lacrosse game, and hopefully it does well because it would be a, a step towards possibly uh, bringing a team here someday. What about a winter classic in Montreal on the horizon? Yeah, that would be nice. We would love to do that. But unfortunately, we don't have an outdoor stadium that's big enough to hold that kind of event. There's talk about the provincial government renovating the Big O. And there is a small window of time where they have to take the roof off. And the new roof is not going to go back on. And so maybe that's an opportunity because it will, would be an outdoor game at the Big O. But as of right now, unfortunately, it'll be hard for us to have an outdoor game without a venue. Yeah, a venue would be important. <laughs> so turning again back to the league a bit, it's expanded obviously so much over the years. Is there a concern that more expansion would further dilute the league? And for example, there's already fewer games between the traditional rivals, like let's say the Habs versus Toronto and Boston. At the current moment, there are no imminent plans for the NHL to expand. But should the day come when the NHL decides to expand, do I think it's going to dilute the quality of play on the ice? I don't think so. I think hockey is becoming much more of an international sport. Not long ago, call it 25 years ago, probably 75% of the professional NHL hockey players were from Canada. And now that number is, is below 50%. And that's not because Canada's not performing. It just it's because other countries like the U.S., Finland, Sweden, Russia, Switzerland, uh, Slovakia, Czechia uh, are all delivering more high caliber uh, hockey players. And so we'll just see more high quality play. So I, I don't think it's diluted. As for rivalries, I do think that as you expand and you get more and more teams, uh, we're at 32 now. And uh, even at 32, playing every team every year, home and away, does have the impact of reducing the rivalries. And so uh, we played the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example, on the first game of the season this year, and we haven't played them since. And late last week, 
uh, we played the Ottawa Senators for the first time this whole year, and we've we've played Boston only twice. So the, all those uh, amazing rivalries that have been developed over the history of the NHL, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and uh, New York and New Jersey, New York and the Islanders, uh, Rangers Islanders, all those great rivalries are less than they used to be because these teams don't play against each other. And personally, my personal opinion is I would I would love to see more games against uh, rival teams and maybe uh, not necessarily going. Uh, to every single other venue every year. If we turn to the actual athlete for a minute and the concept of athlete branding, obviously that's become increasingly more prominent and athletes are trying to build and monetize their own personal brands. So how do you navigate that? And is that does that become challenging? And how does that affect sort of your your day-to-day sports sort of business management and environment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's especially the star athletes, they have their own brand and uh, they manage that themselves. From my perspective, there's a few things that are really important. And if they're able to do all of them while they build their own personal brand, uh, I have absolutely no issues with it. And and for me, it's team first and uh, being part of the team and part of the organization. And that includes on and off the ice. It's being responsible. It's being ready to deliver uh, in practice, ready to deliver in the weight room and ready to deliver on the ice when we play games um, and a total commitment to the team and to winning. And if there's any distraction from that because of personal brand building, it can really take away from the team. And so that's the line that can't be crossed. Almost all players are able to do that. You know, every player gets a, a day off every week, for example. And so that's probably the day that they're going to pick to to do things that are you know more for themselves than for the team. And it's fine. It's good. It's another way of generating income and exposure. And uh, we're supportive of it. In fact, we help them with it if they need it. So, But it can't take away from the reason they're there, and that's to win hockey games. And then if we talk about owning a sports franchise, often it's seen as a very glamorous endeavor, but there there must be some lesser known challenges and realities that you face on a day-to-day basis. Can you address some of those? Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly is, uh, especially in Montreal, being the owner of the Montreal Canadiens means that uh, you're a public figure. And it does uh, mean that people recognize you everywhere you go. That's part of the job. I, I put that into the category as part of my job is to be responsible publicly and to make sure that I treat everyone with respect uh, because uh, they recognize me. And so that part of it, you could argue that that's glamour. It's a responsibility that I have. And the reality is every day when I wake up, I have a hockey team to oversee, but I also have a business to manage. And I love doing both, but I wouldn't call it glamorous. There are days when managing the hockey team are tough. And when the team is not performing or if somebody isn't performing, decisions have to be made. And the amount of times I've heard people say, I wish I was a fly on the wall in your meetings with uh, (laughs) Ken Hughes and Jeff Gorton and Martin St. Louis. But, you know, they're not always easy discussions and tough decisions have to be made. In fact, they made one yesterday. They sent one of our good defensemen, good young defensemen down to Laval. That's a tough decision to make, but it's thought through and it's with an eye of, uh, of developing the player to be more ready to play in the NHL. And then there's times when you have to let people go. That's not glamorous either. So that that part of it. And then the business, it's like anyone else managing a business. You you want to maximize your exposure and you want to uh, perform to the best of your ability. 
whether it's game presentation, concerts, television rights, whatever it is you want to oversee those and manage those. Basically, the way I look at it is to maximize the revenues so that we can pay our players and have as many uh, alternatives to, to have a winning team on the ice. And I guess with the added, I mean, most businesses aren't in the spotlight of the media the way that owning a sports franchise is. So I'm sure having to manage what comes out in the media, especially in the market here, is it can't always be easy. No, the media is tough. My approach to the media is you can't get too excited when things are going well and you can't get too down when things are going badly. And, you know, we lost last night and, uh, you know, they're not as uh, gentle, the media, uh, the day after. I put it into a category of passion. So like these, these journalists, they love our team. They essentially work for our team because they're covering our team on a daily basis. And they get angry too, just like fans. And so when they write those things... It doesn't mean they don't love our team. It means that uh, they've been disrupted or they're not, they're not happy with what, what's going on. And that's fair. It's fine. They can do that. When it gets a little trickier is when a journalist attacks players or, or people in the organization personally. And uh, that's not necessary. We're all in it together. And there's no reason to attack people personally in journalism. Do you consider yourself a fan? I mean, obviously you are passionate about the sport. So are there any unique challenges managing the dual role as you're, as being a sports enthusiast and a business person behind the organization? Yeah, I mean, obviously I am a fan and I was a fan my, for my whole life. Uh, I still am a fan and I consider myself, uh, when, I, when I go to games, even though I'm working, I'm still a fan. Yeah. <laughs> You have like a Habs t-shirt underneath your suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> a little tattoo. No, I don't have a tattoo. But it's really important to take the fan away from business decisions and hockey decisions. And so that's something I, I have extreme discipline with, regardless of how happy I am with uh, with a performance of the team. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I've hired professionals to oversee various parts of the business or the team and that's what they do for a living and I have to trust them to do their job properly and I'm very supportive of, uh, of the, the group that oversees the team and the group that oversees the business and so I've been doing this for 15 years now it's it's become pretty easy for me to take the fan out of me and focus on the business but it is still fun to be a fan and I consider myself a fan. And I guess just sort of as we come to a close in the conversation, I wanted to talk a bit about sort of some social and political issues that sort of, I guess, have become increasingly intertwined with sports. So as an owner, do you feel like you have to navigate the responsibility of representing the team in some of these sort of social political conversations and how and does that impact your overall business strategy and maybe fan base? I do think that given the importance of the team culturally and to the population that we represent, it is important for us to address social issues, uh, political, not so much, but social. And we do. We're very strong supporters of diversity, for example, and diversity can mean a lot of things. And so our organization believes in diversity and we won't necessarily go deep into one form of diversity because to us, it's all encompassing and there's fans of all different types that love our team. And so that's a big priority for us. And then through the NHL, there's a campaign for cancer. Uh, there's a campaign for LGBTQ. There's a campaign for Black History Month. 
and we support those as well. And so it's important for our fans to know that we, that we are uh, involved in the community and we care about social issues. Right. Well, I mean, just even, I think, was it yesterday that was about mental health? So that yeah, obviously, that's one. and can you choose which causes you'd like to support or do they come from the league as a whole? It's both. We try to uh, be consistent as a league. Um, and I think the other leagues do that as well. And so the league has initiatives that they invest heavily in and they request that we embark. And we do that with pleasure because they're all good causes and they're all good social issues and uh, they're all encompassing. So, And then there's times when uh, we do things specifically within our, our community, like a blood drive or building an outdoor hockey rink in an underprivileged community. Uh, we just built our 14th one in Saint-Jerome. And these things are awesome. They're refrigerated rinks with a Zamboni and a hut to warm up and put your skates on. We give them 100 pairs of skates, 100 hockey sticks, gloves, and helmets. And so these kids that probably never would have dreamt about actually skating because it's an expensive sport, well, they can do it now. And so it's been really good for the 14 communities that we've put those rinks in. You know, it's fun just to get a little bit, you know, into the details of this sort of day-to-day stuff and the other things other than just what people might see on television when they watch a game. So I don't know if you have anything else you'd like to add or let our listeners know about your world, but I'm done with my questions. I'm good. If you have everything you need, I'm happy. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.